get it all out, right? This episode is brought to you by the Asimio NFT, available now only on Ethereum. <laughs> And we're back. Welcome to Semio Decoded, where we decode technology and tech-adjacent concepts in ways that are often useful, typically thought-provoking, and occasionally mind-blowing. And I can't believe, Erin, that we are actually talking about what we're talking about today for this full episode. It kind of blows my mind that we've selected just this topic. Is it blockchain <laughs> and generative AI? <laughs> it is blockchain, and we're going to talk about its relationship to AI. It's kind of like we just pulled up ChatGPT and said, can you give me the two biggest buzzwords of the last 12 months, and then we'll run a podcast on them. <laughs> I mean, that's not a bad strategy, but I feel like with blockchain, we've been talking about this for a while, but we have a very different take on it than we do with uh, generative AI and ChatGPT and our other conversation, which we highly recommend you go check out. If you haven't listened to it, that was a great episode. I don't hate blockchain. I feel compelled to say that, is I don't hate, like it seems like in a lot of conversations, I end up taking up this position that is skeptical and debates the value of it, but that's not because I have anything against the blockchain technology at all. It's because as a technologist, I'm always trying to search for the right value proposition and read the tea leaves correctly to make sure that we're integrating the right technologies and we're heading the right direction in the domains that we help serve. I don't hate blockchain either, but I don't really, if I'm really pushed, like I don't really, really understand it. I have a very... I don't even know if I would say surface level description. And I'm sure I'm not alone here. So uh, why don't we pick this apart a little bit, Aaron? Can we start with the basics? What 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 is blockchain? Absolutely. So blockchain, first off, I, let's talk about the background here. Because the, one of the ways that I think about blockchain and then we're going to specifically use generative ai as a foil because these often get brought up in conversations when people are talking about transformative technologies and where the world's heading just uh, i think about a week ago another technologist sent me a podcast that was talking about them together and how they can help each other and the way it was framed as their complementary technologies implied that they're both kind of equal levels of potential, or they both have equal levels of potential for transformation for our society. So let's start back with some background, because I will tell you, you're going to, you know, spoiler alert, you're going to hear a lot of um, why we think that generative AI is in a different class altogether than blockchain. However, one thing that blockchain nailed is its brand. <laughs> because really like if you ask people what it is or what it can do for them, I mean, you know, we can talk about Bitcoin and in, in some of the, you know, things like NFTs and whatnot, but most people are going to not have a good answer to that, but it's still hyped up. I mean, still hyped AF. Hyped AF. How so? Take NFTs, one of the most hyped things to come out of blockchain in the past few years. 
If you haven't gone down the rabbit trail and know what an NFT is, I will explain. NFT stands for non-fungible token. So what does that mean? Essentially, NFTs are unique digital assets. They cannot be replaced. In contrast, if you trade a Bitcoin for another Bitcoin, you still have one Bitcoin. They're fungible. But if you have an NFT, which can really be anything from an art piece to a video, it's non-fungible. Just like that rare baseball card your uncle has stored away in the attic or the original art piece your mother's friend painted. Artists and collectors alike were thrilled when NFTs hit the stage because it opened a new door for people to create, sell, and trade unique items on a digital platform. One image by digital artist Beeple sold for $69 million at an auction. But since its onset, sales have dipped deeply and critics cite how easy it is to download digital copies of NFTs that, while not the original, are easily duplicated. So... Is it worth the hype? TBD. So one of the things that's interesting about blockchain is if you go back to the origin story of blockchain, does the name Satoshi Nakamoto mean anything to you? No. Okay. This is one of the most interesting internet lore stories in my opinion in existence. (laughs) So... And this is funny that most people wouldn't know that name. And so this story is probably mostly unknown. But what we now know is Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and the blockchain technology was invented in 2008 by an unknown entity. Even to date, we don't know who, if it was a group or an individual. But the pseudonym Satoshi Nakamoto was put on a paper and that paper gave the mathematical and conceptual structure for what became blockchain technology. And it was implemented, the currency, the blockchain currency, Bitcoin specifically, was implemented in 2009 and was released as open source software. It was actually the first time the word Bitcoin was defined in a white paper was at the end of October in in 2008. It's a compound words of bit and coin, right? Which is not that interesting. But the interesting part of this is that still today, no one knows who this inventor is or was, if they are even still around. And their position as the inventor of Bitcoin means if they, like there's, it's likely they could have a lot of money somewhere. (laughs) So depending on how they followed the network and what they held back or whatnot, um, I'll be honest, I don't really understand the flow of the currency through it, right? That's a financial question. But just the lore behind there's a technology that appeared in the open source world in 2008-9 by some mad scientist writing this idea for this decentralization technology that can pull the power out of the centralized monopolists and technocrats and controllers of the world and put it in the hands of the people, right? It's just a, it's an interesting story. Yeah, that's. That's way interesting. I wonder if that's it's an anagram or something. I would let's solve it right now. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. If no one threw it in an anagram checker. <laughs> we did try this out in an anagram checker, and while there were over fifteen thousand results, they were all pretty much gibberish. There are many guesses as to who, singular or plural, might be behind the name, including Elon Musk, physicist Dorian Satoshi Nakamoto computer programmer Nick Szabo, and cryptographer Hal Finney. 
So, okay, that's interesting. I just a, a curiosity because how do we know to trust it, you know, like, or that it can be trusted if we don't know who it is? It's open source. I'm sure a lot of people clearly have done some work on it, but it's just interesting. That's a great question. And I also, I didn't necessarily answer the question of what is blockchain. I answered the question of why is it the background of it interesting? So I'll go back and answer <laughs> We'll that get there. Too. We're interested in the story. <laughs> right. So two questions. One, what is blockchain? Two, how can we trust it? Blockchain is in essence a ledger. Okay. So it's a series of transactions and it's special in a sense because it's decentralized, meaning that the combination of all the the implementations or instances or individuals that are accessing the blockchain through technology combine together to form the blockchain. There's not a server sitting somewhere in in a in a in a, a closet that's running the blockchain at Google, right? It's everyone that participates through software where they interact with the blockchain contributes to the source of truth. So if you make a transaction on it, that now updates the source of truth on the blockchain. And, and how can we trust it? It's a great question. If everyone contributes to it, then it is, you know, then is it super untrustworthy? Because why don't I just go up there and transfer a billion dollars in Bitcoin right now and say it's a good transaction? Well, built into the mathematical structure and the implementation of the blockchain, there are certain controls against a tax on it that would reduce that trust. At the basic level, there's math that's helping protect us there. And since the paper and the implementations are open source, you can actually look at the source code too and see how it's implemented. And so it's transparent. And that's one thing, there, there's an advantage there against some, or actually depending on how you look at it, all to a lot. <laughs> of the generative AI in how it works in transparency, right? Because you can actually see the code and you can look at transactions on the blockchain and see that. So it's a way to record transactions, whether it's the movement of money or the possession of a, a certain asset in the world, be it digital or physical, to move that possession in a way that's transparent and also doesn't centralize power. There's no broker. Like if I go buy a house right now, like there's people that are going to certify there's institutional mechanisms that make sure that I have a title and a deed and the money's moving correctly. And so you're going through different centralized ways of accessing and consuming assets in our society. But in blockchain, all of that's handled through the implementation of the decentralized network itself, right? Which is super clear, obviously, right? It makes total sense. Uh, no. Is one of the problems of the blockchain. Even when you try and explain it, it remains a little inaccessible due to its abstract nature and the nature of centralization versus decentralization. Yeah, well, we're so familiar with so many centralized power structures just as a society, even though, well, I'm not a politician or that deep into politics, so I'm going to not go that far into that. But, you know, I think everything from schools or typically how most, you know, companies function. It's just kind of hard to really grasp and what it's like to be a part of something decentralized. So that's probably part of it, at least for maybe this part of the world. And that's one of the things I want to touch on. One is this idea of centralization versus decentralization. Often it's 
set up as a dichotomy, it's really more of a spectrum. And back when we were right in the middle of the crypto craze and um, before all of the stuff with um, the exchanges started just falling, right? When we started hitting financial troubles on the um, in the crypto markets, there was a lot of questionable activities that started coming to light. And in the middle of that craze, I was sitting down with another technologist who was more on the pro crypto side. And they were talk talking up the benefits of decentralization, but it's not really decentralized because to convert Bitcoin back into something that you can spend, like we, you can't, some places you can go in and spend Bitcoin directly, but those are fairly few and far between. And they didn't catch on like some of individuals predicted it would, where you could like order, you, you know, walk into get your gas or the convenience store or something and pull out your phone and have your Bitcoin app pay for it in that. While this is true in the US and in most places, two countries have actually adopted Bitcoin as legal tender. So you can use Bitcoin at stores, gas stations, etc. in El Salvador as of 2021 and the Central African Republic as of 2022. The president of El Salvador has been a supporter because he says it gives people without bank accounts access to services they normally wouldn't have. In El Salvador, something like 70% of people are unbanked. So you can see how Bitcoin still has a lot of potential to open doors for people. Yet as of 2022, only half of the nation had downloaded the app and more than 60% of those people hadn't used it. People cited a lack of trust, a preference for cash, no access to phones, and confusion with the technology as reasons they hadn't found it useful. So to access Bitcoin, you really need to convert it into dollars for a lot of general use cases. And so you're centralized back at the gateway into the financial institutions because you're converting it back, you're sending it to a bank or something like that that you're then withdrawing the money from. And these gateways to accessing Bitcoin in the markets actually ended up somewhat centralizing access. And then those businesses became a point of trust failure, right? So the blockchain technology itself was still good, but if you can't trust the institution that you're converting dollars to Bitcoins and back through, then you, you have the same problem you had before with trust. It's just with a different entry point and exit point. Just curious, uh, you said this was released in 2008? So the the paper, right? So in pay, the cryptocurrency was really kind of initially invented in 2008 and began use in 2009 through this paper from Satoshi Nakamoto. And was there, because I was just thinking about the timing of that and the financial crisis in 2008. Is there any, do you know, is there any relationship there? I don't think so. I I, I, I don't believe so. I, I don't know. Um, yeah. Maybe perhaps Satoshi Nakamoto saw an opportunity. Maybe it drove there. There's a lot of speculation, but I'm not sure if there's a direct correlation. Yeah. The answer is probably in the anagram. It's all there. I can feel it. <laughs> okay, cool. No, this is, this is helpful. So what, you know, you talk a little bit more about, you said you don't hate blockchain. So tell me about what it's good for. You know, where is it most useful? Well, I don't, so I don't hate it for one reason is because as a, someone that appreciates um, unconventional technology and creative technical concepts, I love what, you know, that blockchain is trying to decentralize trust, right? Because there's some powerful uh, uses of that. Okay, so 
super helpful to have a little more insight, you know, about what blockchain is. And, you know, we started by talking a little bit about this comparison to generative AI. Can you can you start to weave those things together a little bit? Sure. And and I'm going to, if there's blockchain enthusiasts that are listening to this, I'm going to try and call out areas where I may not be as fair as I should be, right? Because, for example, generative AI has arguably been around for 70 years or more um, in di different forms. But the 2017 paper from Google, Attention is All You Need, is really one of the, I think, the more interesting points in time whenever that technology became useful to a level that use cases could be embedded in um, greater technology systems. And then it took, you know, a few years from 2017 to 2022 before we saw GPT released in a version that was more accessible in the consumer market. And then, of course, ChatGPT, which became, you know, almost an overnight success. So I'm going to say that 2017, when transformer models were uh, becoming, is a good starting point to think about market comparisons there. And 2008, I'm going to pick as a, the starting point for blockchain, right? But already from the beginning, the differences in the story appear because it's a it's not a very sexy story for, you know, a new transformer model that's, you know, a Google research paper, attention is all you need from some, you know, machine learning experts is just kind of not near as interesting a story as some cloak and dagger, you know, individual that's um, no one knows if it's a made up group of people that got together that's now, you know, billions of dollars in financial transactions that's responsible for. So the story, blockchain wins on the story side. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about the difference between use cases and blockchain and generative AI, since those are the two buzzwords that we're kind of comparing here. And one clearly uh, obvious one is the general or wide use cases of generative AI and the very narrow use cases of blockchain. Because generative AI spans multiple use cases in image generation, language generation, automated reasoning, business process automation, data analytics, everything from I need help laying out my garden to I want you to generate SQL queries off of natural language. So it spans a wide variety of use cases, overwhelming in a sense. But then blockchain is very specific to these decentralized ledgers. So wherever you would want a non-centralized transaction record of something, you know, so you can think like supply chains are an interesting place that you can think about something like that, um, healthcare, um, so the tracking of assets, um, there's been some, some movement in fraud in financial transaction analysis there. Supply chains in healthcare seem to be a big, a big space that blockchain tends to show up, but I haven't seen the part of the reason that I can't name the specific ones is I haven't seen it proliferate in the social impact domain. I haven't seen one project yet where I've said, oh, they're using blockchain in production in this community to solve this problem. And that 
should potentially be replicated. There's all sorts of blockchain projects. There's toy projects out there. There's research that happens. A few years ago, I tried to reach out to an organization and I don't recall the name for it, but it was something like blockchain for social good, right? And it was in the UK. I couldn't even get them to respond to emails. So I haven't, every time I try to chase <laughs> down who's using it for what in a way that matters that we could apply, I run into a brick wall. Now, on the other hand, many of the people that I talk to on a daily basis about technology are already using generative AI in their daily use cases, whether it's to help them write, rewrite an email or draft a white paper or a tweet or more complex use cases like data analytics or even stringing together autonomous agents for automating business processes. A lot of people are asking about how they should implement AI and they usually mean generative AI because of all the buzz around it when they say that. Whereas I don't believe I can remember a single time that a foundation program officer or a executive director of a nonprofit or a state and local politician asked me, we really are thinking about how we can implement blockchain and we want your help. So the wide versus narrowness is important to realize on these technologies from a use case perspective, but then also just the accessibility and ease of understanding. You can literally just go online and with ChatGPT, you can get an experience of what it's like for generative AI to help solve, uh, answer a question or solve a problem. In addition to the already foundational general nature of this technology, the speed at which it is improving is breaknecking fast. Literally before this, we sat down to record this. I was looking at open AI now has computer vision integrated in with chat GPT. And the example that was given was the ability to take a picture of your bike and you want to know how to lower the seat on the bike. Let's say that you're not oh maybe a bike God. enthusiast. That's and, so awesome. Yeah. And it knew it was a bike, but not only that, it knew what kind of knew where to, to unscrew the bolt, right. To loosen the bolt up, to lower the seat. It was, and, and it said, you know, so right underneath the seat, you'll see this bolt and it needs an Allen wrench to loosen it up. And, um, and then the demo was, okay, here's a, a picture of my bicycle manual and my, and an open tool set and my tool set, like lying on the ground. Do I have the right tool? <laughs> and, it, and it said, yes, you need a four millimeter Allen wrench. And if you look in your tool set underneath the DeWalt logo, you'll see it's like the second one on the right. Think about the last time you could do, you did something with blockchain other than maybe investing a little here and there in an NFT or buying a Bitcoin at some point because it was fun. You just don't use, no one uses really blockchain on a day-to-day -day basis that I talked to. Man, that is cool. I could have used that a couple of weeks ago when I had to change the filter in my refrigerator. I can never remember how to reset that stupid button. <laughs> well, on the, the flip side, right? I mean, we've talked a lot about some of the more positive, you know, applications of these tools. I'd be interested, do, do you have thoughts or can you share some thoughts on the comparison of where things might go awry for both blockchain and its uses and generative AI? Absolutely. There's so there's a couple of ways. One, let's, uh, I think because the, the impact 
is already greater of generative AI, and we can unpack what we mean by that, but because the impact is already greater from generative AI from a market perspective, the potential downsides of negative impact are really great as well. And because of the ability to emulate reasoning from AI, the potential for it to go wrong is much greater. And you, it doesn't take very far to figure out how that can supercharge misinformation and spam and all sorts of cons on the internet and other types of negative things. So I do think that the downside to both is, is, is big, but it's larger with generative AI. I think one of the other downsides to blockchain is, you know, just not having a market fit. Like, so it's not necessarily what's going to go wrong. It's just what might not be realized. Like there could be a lot of hope and investment, but then if nothing comes from it, there's opportunity lost there. One negative aspect of both generative AI and blockchain is uh, e eco waste or, you know, the amount of power that it takes to run these technologies. And I don't have a specific comparison point here, but I will say that neither of these technologies gets up the approval of those that care about like waste in our environment. Um, that can quickly spin into comparison of other types of technologies that we use that are based upon limited natural resources. So I think that the conversation itself is probably nuanced and in 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 depth and interesting, but neither one of them are super efficient when it comes to energy usage. So that's a downside there. Um, another downside. So let's talk about specifically of for generative AI, because I want to be fair here and not sound like I'm trying to pump up generative AI. I don't have a horse in this particular race other than the one that provides the most value for the clients and partners that we serve. And but generative AI, huge criticism is its um, lack of precision. And like we expect, even though they, this often doesn't work this way. We expect our technology to be consistent and precise and a computer to boot up, whether it does or not, or AirPods to connect and a calculator to give the same answer. If asked at two plus two, not to give two plus two equals four, nine, nine out of a hundred times. But when I put it in there, it should equal four every time. And generative AI is imprecise in the way the technology works and you not you don't necessarily get the same answer every time as well okay so why is this if you listen to our chat gpt episode you might remember some of this but it all comes down to the inputs that are being used to train the machine ai learns based on a massive amount of information that technologists feed it to help it understand language, concepts, etc. And it's not possible to feed it every piece of information that ever existed. So the limits of a tool's ability become dependent on not only the quality and amount of information it's fed, but also the pre-existing biases of the human beings that are selecting the information itself. It's also not transparent. With blockchain, it's open source. You can see the transactions on the ledger. You can also see the underlying code. You can go down to the mathematical level of it. And you can look at the math that um, underpins generative AI. But at, when you get to the point where the quote magic happens, when it's actually generating a response, there's a huge problem within computer science right now about 
interpreting and understanding how it got the response it got, which you don't have on blockchain side. It's like, well, yeah, we kind of, we know how the technology works and we, and we understand that we got a response, but we can't open up the hood the same way and see it happening in real time. And that's concerning to say the least. So transparency with generative AI is a concern. The lack of precision and predictability with generative AI is also a concern and that limits some of the use cases there where, so in a way where they're, they're, they are complementary is, is some of the things that blockchain is good at are where generative AI falls down. You know, we talked about like crypto and NFTs. I mean, is it being used in more conventional ways? You mentioned also, I think, um, an example that I was curious about, but didn't ask at the time, healthcare, like supply chain or re related issues and its use in that arena. What, what does that mean? Is that about like healthcare delivery or more about like the supplies and things like that? It's more about the, the supplies, right? So if you think about okay. like distribution chains for vaccines, there can oh. be a lot of miscommunication there around capacity, um, security and things like that. And that's an area where if you have a decentralized blockchain, that's tracking that supply chain, there can be a, um, a high level of trust in that because it's transparent and in the interactions and but again i don't think like for me personally i'm not i haven't seen that use case transfer anywhere and i'm not actually certain how much it transferred out of the edge between research and application to be able to talk about its efficacy and is it actually was actually able to solve the problems that it was trying to solve but the reliability and the transparency are the two things that get pointed to because it's transparent it it you know you don't have to worry about people misleading the 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 chain of custody or their train of transportation of something like a vaccine and you can verify ownership along the whole way of the of the supply chain there because it's mm -hmm. transparency um the the reliability it's encoded into the structure of the blockchain itself. So it's, you know, you, it's a higher level of reliability because of the transparency. You can also see, you, you know, that if one, one server goes down somewhere or one person's computer, the whole thing doesn't go down. Right. Um, there were a few years ago, I can't remember, I think it was AWS or something went down. I mean, half the internet got taken offline. Suddenly half the, the, the software in people's offices just wasn't working. So that's a downside to centralization. That's very real. And blockchain does aim to, to attack that in that sense. And so if you're dealing with maybe war torn communities, if you're dealing with unreliable infrastructure, the potential use case for something like blockchain can go up. Aaron, maybe you can talk a little bit more about the differences in the markets for, for each of these, for blockchain and for generative AI. We've been talking a lot about some of the personal experiences, anecdotes. It'd be interesting to look at this you know, from a higher level. If we think about 2022 as a good starting point, because transformer models came out in 2017 and it took a few years for it, you know, the the word to get out and for the technology to get translated into what now most people have been exposed to as GPT-4 or OpenAI, some version of GPT. 
ChatGPT specifically. In 2022, people barely knew about it. They were learning about ChatGPT and it was still coming into the ethos and general um, knowledge of our world and our domain. But in 2022, the generative AI market was 14.49 billion, according, and this is all according to Forbes Business Insights. So I'm not a financial uh, analyst, so I'm just going to have to trust them on this. But it's 14.49 billion. Blockchain market size in 2022, 11.14 billion. So the very first year that people are pretty much finding out about this, it already had gone past blockchain's market. And then blockchain hadn't been around for, you know, and if you consider the Bitcoin didn't come out till 20, 2009, so, you know, give them a few years. Let's just make it easy and three, four, and take five years off to make it equal. So, I mean, so you're, you're years ahead with blockchain, but in arguably the first real heavy revenue year being 2022 for generative AI, you're seeing it already surpass blockchain. Then, so, but let's look at 2023 because that's not a significant difference, right? Like, okay, it's a few billion, but that doesn't seem to, to have as much of a, a weight to it as 2023. Because in 2023, the generative AI market size as being, and, you know, considering that we're close to the end of it, I think this, we could probably have some faith in these predictions is 43.87 billion for generative AI. And it's 17.57 billion for blockchain. So we're looking at almost three times the amount in market size, which tracks if you look at the products the generative AI is being built into. I mean, OpenAI, Toyota, Microsoft, Eleven Labs, Google, YouTube, IBM, Oracle, you name it, like Salesforce, everyone is throwing generative AI into their product lines. I and mean, I'm not even saying just as an add-on, like you can get blockchain as a service from Amazon. I'm talking about it's in Google Drive. It's going to be in your email, in your search. It's at the the most embedded level of a lot of the structures and systems that we depend on for productivity and content, perusal and generation, et cetera. So from a market perspective, I, my guess is that we're going to continue to see massive adoption of generative AI and it will continue to surpass even more blockchain. Also, obviously, this is not the biggest jump here, but it is interesting that the blockchain numbers increased significantly within a year, given that, you know, the numbers we were talking about for 2022 represented, you know, what is that, 10 plus years of being around, and then there was a 7 billion jump. Do you have any insight into what that was about? I, I don't. And, and and it's predicted to continue to grow using the compound annual growth rates. So. Um, again, it's a weird thing because there's clearly individuals and organizations investing in blockchain technology. And, and this is why I, I want to, you know, I, I want to make it clear. I don't know that there's not good use cases out there. I don't know that there isn't some technology, but that's worth investing in. But as someone who is really interested in the applicability, I can't say until I can say what it is specifically for our domain, I can't really talk more about it. So, so you're right. There's continued investment in this. There, there's some speculation. There could be economic bubbles. You're right. Based upon, um, 
you know, what we saw happen with NFTs. And if you go analyze the NFT market, there was this huge fad on people buying NFTs for thousands or even millions of dollars. And, and, you know, we even trying to explain what an NFT is, is, is not that, that easy to do, but but regardless, like let's hand wave that for a second and just say that there was millions of dollars being traded around for proof, digital proof of ownership of things. <laughs> and, um, but then it seemed kind of like a lot of people with a lot of money having fun, like you would with fine art or other things that may not be as, you know, if I own the first gift that ever got, you know, sent around on an email on the internet or something like digitally, I have the ownership of that air quotes, then like, that's not that applicable to helping solve social good problems to me, but there is, there are dollars that translate through that. So it's financial market impacts. There's, um, speculation on, um, things like art and content and things like that. Yeah. I find myself kind of hungering for a metaphor to compare the two, you know, if generative AI is like the personal computer you know, what's sort of the equivalent for blockchain, which is more of a slow burn, probably useful in some very specific use cases, you know, and I don't know, I'm, I can't figure out what the opposite side of, you know, this is like the comparison that I want to make, but are you, do you have like, are there other pairings, you know, throughout history that you feel like might be equivalent that people could take away as sort of a metaphorical comparison? No. And I thought about this. I tried, I tried, I thought about this okay. ahead of this recording and, um, this close as I could get from a metaphor perspective was, and it's not that satisfying if you ask me, but I was thinking back, if you, if you go back to high school or school, maybe it's university level or high school or something. And you think about there's a kid that's just super popular and they may be like, you know, they're well liked. People are always talking about what they're doing, where they're going. And, you know, it, they're a hot conversational social topic, but maybe they're not necessarily carrying a heavy load when they're in small group with you. They're not the person who's going to like contribute the most to the assignment. They're not necessarily going to give the best presentation. And then, and if you really look at this situation, you're kind of like, you know, you have a great social life and that's awesome. And you've got a great image and you're contributing to the fabric of our community. But like practically in the sense of getting schoolwork done or group projects or the a fundraiser for a specific, you know, spirit event or something, there's not a lot there. And I kind of think it's like generative AI as the flip side of the one that maybe is not, it doesn't have as cool of a story or, you know, doesn't always come out and the, you know, with as big of a splash, isn't one of the cool kids, but is just a powerhouse getting done. Oh, the majority of the school project volunteering for stuff will run the, the, you know, be the, the least, you know, seen role in the spirit campaign. That's just, you know, writing the posters out or whatever. I feel like that's kind of where it starts to pick up for me, man. Blockchain's the dud in the group project. Yeah. It depends on if you want to, if you want to be seen with the cool kid, then maybe you, maybe you're doing the project just to be seen with the cool kid. And that's where I don't want to, that's why I have to be careful not to take away from there's so much hype that for on just some, by some point I go as the hype self, you know, perpetuating. Well, there's value created there, whether or not you agree that there should be value, right? Exactly. Whether it's the kind of value that we're looking at or not, there's absolutely, and there's financial value there. Um, but there's, 
a lot of implementation concerns on both sides. Okay, so in terms of use cases, I want to bring it back to the domain that we are most interested in, which is social impact, working with mission-based organizations of many kinds. And I'm curious, you know, can you can you talk a little bit more about some of the social good use cases? I know there's many for generative AI, but but is there nothing for blockchain? I remember exploring a few, you know, a few years ago. Yeah, so I think that's a good thing to challenge ourselves and to say, really, is there no way that this technology could be beneficial? And I think the answer to that is no, that there are some use cases. They just, to your point, pale in comparison to the generative AI ones. Because just, you know, generative AI can help with school system lesson planning. It can do help you draft white papers or grant reports or look at data insights, search research, right? They're endless. We can go on and on. Um, there's guardrails there, there's caveats, there's concerns, there's um, dangers. But there's no difficulty in generating a list of use cases for generative AI in the social impact space. Blockchain, on the other hand, um, I think one of the, the areas I've been pushing myself over the years to try and think of a good use case. And one of the areas that could be interesting is when we talk about decision-making in communities and we talk in the social impact space, especially when we start integrating data from multiple sources to elevate knowledge and wisdom in a community about, well, who is asking the question? Like, is it the right question? <laughs> like who, it, it, often it's people in power already who are asking the questions. It's people that have the resources and the funding and the, the time to pursue um, systems level concerns in their community, right? And there's a, a, a lot of, that goes into that, right? And, and so there's a concept of social license, which is, is the community, the social group that you're working in partnership with, or that you're a part of, like, what's the overall community's will with regards to what we should be investigating, what policy solutions we should be considering, what insights we should be considering, what data sets we should be looking at, right? And now... Then you get to the question of, well, who facilitates that dialogue in a community? Like, how does that facilitation happen? Because then you get back to, well, the facilitator has an inordinate amount of power. Let's say you get the city and local philanthropy and foundation um, representatives as alongside your nonprofit and community-based organizations, and you get community members that are advocates or you know service recipients, et cetera, then whoever is organizing that deliberation and dialogue also has a position of power there. So the idea of democratizing discussions about which social problems are important to solve and how we solve them, what questions we ask and what interventions we try, that's a difficult problem to solve right there from a process perspective, from a technology perspective, et cetera. And that's where blockchain and specifically some of the concepts that can be built on top of it, like decentralized autonomous organizations, DAOs, another mouthful. A DAO could be set up where there isn't a central point of power, but there are constituent parts that can vote in, for example, a community. And then that voting itself can be encoded in the results of that to arrive at an an answer and outcome. You can think about it like, I'm going to air quote this, like truly democratic voting where everyone gets say 
you know, one vote for a specific question, like which policy intervention do we want to pursue? Pick your local like bad actor that everyone wants to to be worried about, right? <laughs> Centralizing or monopolizing control of the process and the power and the resources, then a you know a DAO could distribute the voting in a way that's transparent and open in a sense that people you know can trust it, and then smart contracts, which are basically rules that you can build into a system like this, could automate funding based on that. So you could see where a local um, or regional payer foundation or state contract could say, Hey, we have, you know, X amount of dollars and whatever idea gets voted on by the community, it automatically, these dollars go to one of these preset organizations that are going to go ahead and run with this intervention idea we have, and all of it's automated in a way that's transparent. And by the way, we can't even change it at this point once it's in motion. Okay. So there is a level of trust to that and transparency to that, that is a step up from how we normally make decisions like that in most communities that we're working in these days. So there's an answer to that through blockchain that, but there's clear challenges with that. First off, describing it, it sounds like an abstract problem with an abstract solution, <laughs> even though it really is a concrete problem with a concrete solution. It's not so easy to talk about it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't know that the solution is as concrete as, as I'm saying, because this again is a thought experiment. I don't know that this has been done anywhere. I was going to say this really, this is more of a hypothetical than an actual example. So interesting. Yes. And I challenge if our listeners know of one real blockchain implementation for social good that's in production somewhere, not a test case, not a, not a study, not something that we're MVPing or demoing, or it's going to be out next month, right? Or tomorrow even, but something is actually in you solving a problem, providing value. Like I really want to find those so that we can learn what is working on blockchain and what isn't. We don't even have time to get into all of the use cases for blockchain, and the technology continues to evolve. Forbes published a list of the different uses for blockchain back in 2020, and spoiler, it's not just NFTs and cryptocurrency. So check it out in the show notes. We've talked a lot about the two, and we are, in fact, drawing a comparison, and by doing so, we are linking these two concepts, kind of ironically, even though they aren't really inherently linked in any way. Why do you think that blockchain and generative AI keep getting linked together in terms of this public perception? I think the technology can make interesting stories, right? I mean, Oppenheimer just came out and like rocked the, the film world, right? People want, or it's an interesting story to think about something being invented that's transformational, that's gonna take us to the next level, right? For society. What's it going to be? What's going to be the next steam engine or what's going to be the written word or, you know, printing press or whatever it is. And, you know, when these technologies first get st started getting talked about, you usually have like the people who are pro and anti, you know, you'll have people trying to make it seem like it's going to do everything. Like we, we're going to have artificial general intelligence next week. It's already sparks of it are already in GPT-4. We practically have human-like consciousness and reasoning and thinking already in our computers and maybe we're in the simulation already and, and just kind of these evangelists that get unlinked to reality very quickly but on the flip side you have the naysayers saying ah oh, we've been doing ai since 1950s and before like like if nothing's changed we always say that this these hype cycles come and go and so it's fun to take your popcorn out and be like oh is this it yeah is this is dystopian ai world right around the corner or is it going to be like a world where we can come together in peace with our new you know AI counterparts, right? Like, oh, is blockchain gonna 
like disrupt the all the fine like the global financial institutions in a way that's going to bring power back to the people there's it's just catchy stuff and and cool names i mean blockchain's a cool name it really is it sounds cool it sounds like well who wouldn't want to like blockchain that's like who wouldn't want their technology in the cloud of course <laughs> that's cool like clouds are pretty they're high up there i mean you know we just like oversimplify this stuff and it becomes a brand battle you know something interesting um, that i was just thinking about a big difference between blockchain and, and AI, and I don't know that this is specific to generative AI, but I, now I'm curious. I'm going to go on a rabbit trail at some point. But you don't see a lot of creative works incorporating blockchain. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's there are novels, um, Clara and the Sun, Kazuo Ishiguro, right? This came out a few years ago, and it's about AI and relationships is really interesting. You know, there's movies about this, but you don't really see that happening with blockchain. Like people are not writing stories <laughs> about their personal experiences with blockchain. And I don't know, as we think about, you know, the transformative power of these kinds of technologies, that's just another drop in the bucket for why AI in particular is so much more, the scale is just incomparable. The idea that you actually have a non-human companion has been with us since it's, I mean, it's gotta be one of the original stories that was told, right? That there's non-human entities out in the world and you can interact with them. And, um, and so I think there's something appealing, whether it's a spirit or a golem that we've conjured up from the depths or, you know, it's a, a tool it's it's pinocchio that we've made so real that it actually comes to life there's something embedded in our spirit that is seems like is kind of intrigued by that story and blockchain doesn't quite get there with it pinocchio would be an excellent name for some kind of generative generative ai tool was we get to a place of closing i'm curious you know are there any would you have recommendations for people who are interested in kind of staying on top of the use cases of either like where to go or how to search for this kind of information or you know resources that you call upon frequently the way that i tend to check my knowledge is to go to multiple different places at, at once right so different um, I think that knowing what's on different social networks is always important to understand fads and what general bubbles of individuals and or bots in this day and age are thinking and saying. Um, so, you know, whether that's, you know, TikTok or Reddit or a, you know, a Facebook group or Instagram or whatnot, it's, or the a newspaper feed you know, is another good place if the social network, because social networks are, you know, a very precarious place to get your information from. But I do like to have that as a data point. Um, I will find myself keeping out in those networks for research papers that come out and peer reviewed journals are always good to get a sense as from another data point. Um, I talk to industry experts and partners and implementers, other vendors, um, and then also just asking people around you. If you meet someone at a meetup who's a software engineer, you know, say like, cool, do you use generative AI? And then like, do you use blockchain? My suggestion might be to make to not stop until 
you get a real use case. So if they're like, oh yeah, I love blockchain. It's like, well, how do you use it? It's like, well, you know, I think smart contracts are great or something like that. Well, yeah, but so what do you use it for? And then if it goes, you know, I'd be surprised if it goes much beyond, well, I have been watching the Bitcoin price of Bitcoin because I invested, you know, five years ago or something in it, or, or I have an NFT of a, you know, a, a cat dressed as a turtle, you know, that I own <laughs> the digital rights to, you know, if it gets, you know, if it doesn't go beyond that, then I would kind of move on. Right. Because I've asked some very high level executives at very, um, large innovative organizations that weren't able to take me much past those simple questions, which is one of the reasons I'm skeptical of blockchain. Cause that's another data point. So asking people around you, looking at the peer reviewed research, um, and then whatever technology podcasts and newsletters you follow, not stopping at, uh, the abstract use case level of generally innovative <laughs> and pushing lower innovate for what yeah and i will say personally you know i started this conversation with just the fact that i really don't know that much about blockchain and part of that is somewhat intentional because it's i don't need to right there isn't something that's hyper practical and i have great people around me like you and others on our team who are both just super curious and interested and in always diving into these kinds of things where I start to tune in is when I hear exactly what you just described, those practical use cases. Um, you know, as somebody who, who's not an engineer, software developer, or even just somebody who's, you know, goes that deep into the tech side of things, who cares much more about the implementation and the practical side. And we have both on our team, right? I mean, we have people who go deep in one or the other and people who go deep in both. Um, I just kind of look for some cues around me too. And so I've got the, the errands and others on our team to, you know, when they start saying, Hey, this is kind of interesting, then, then dive in. So if you're similar to me, you know, don't feel bad. That doesn't mean you're missing anything. You're just, you know, parsing out the information. You can only take in so much at a time. And there's a lot of info out there. To kind of, you know, challenge ourselves here to, you know, use our own criteria for practical application as a filter. You know, we were, you know, a few years ago, pretty hot on privacy enhancing technology and still are hot on it. But this is something that's also mostly inaccessible. If when we first started to, if you're not in technology and cryptography and the types of things we're interested in. So we started with secure multi-party computation, which was a uh, like not a simple technology, not it was solving a problem though that was a very real problem and that problem is wanting to keep the personally identifiable information secret but answer aggregate level questions like how many students have a mom who's justice involved to in order to do you know trend analysis and you know invite you know curiosities to be explored in a community where you have complex wicked social problems at play and privacy enhancing technology does that really well, right? But we ended up falling back to secure hashing coding, something much less sophisticated than secure multi-party computation. And no one really knows the difference and they don't have to, but solving a specific problem. And I don't talk a lot about the technology underpinning it, but I do talk about the governance. And when I talk to a lawyer or IT security professional or compliance officer and say, we are not sharing personally identifiable information, like that solves a problem for them. It lowers compliance risks, it raises security protections. Um, and so that's what matters here. So, so secure multi-party computation also inaccessible, um, to, to many people that just don't want to like take the time to like research what the heck it means and why it's important. 
and kind of a novelty in that sense. But we found another way to take that concept and apply it. I mean, I think that's a great point because it's not about whether something is accessible or not. That doesn't necessarily, that's not the only criteria, of course, right? It's it's applicability, right? What are the the outcomes and the you know, the benefits. And if those, I think those need to be accessible because there has to be something, you know, some benefit there, an outcome that's clear. Um, and I think we're still waiting, right, on, on blockchain as a comparison. So it's interesting. It's a, just a good point to bring up. I do think the benefits have to be accessible to someone in the products market fits, you know, supply chain of, of the technology, right? Otherwise, why are people buying it? <laughs> it's yeah. a bubble then, you know? Yeah, and totally. if it gets overinflated, then... You know, when it bursts, you know, beware, right? As many NFT holders probably can can relate to. Hashtag NFT. But unfortunately, so much of it these days like sums up to like find the expert you trust and listen to them. Yeah, there's a lot of content out there, which is ironically getting worse because of generative AI. Um, so you have to sift through the the noise. The point of this is definitely not to dunk on blockchain, but rather we want individuals who are interested in transformative an innovative technology to have a clear picture on where it's at in the research to application pipeline. And as fast as technology is advancing these days, it's important to separate out those technologies that are immediately applicable and potentially very transformative from those that are perhaps interesting, but we're still figuring out what the exact use cases are. Nice, thanks Aaron for sharing those insights. Y'all, thanks for listening. We uh, will be, you know, coming out with more episodes in the future. We've got some exciting guests lined up. If you ever have any questions, you know, feel free to reach out to us on social. And then if you really liked, you know, what you heard today, please be sure to leave us a review and then we'll catch y'all next time. Bye.